Welcome to the C-Suite podcast that we are recording at Money 2020 USA in Las Vegas. I'm Russell Goldsmith, and together with Graham Barrett, we'll be chatting to a number of the speakers and attendees from the conference. We're producing the show in partnership with Instant, a leader in fraud insurance technology and a five-star sponsor of Money 2020. We hope that through these short conversations with CEOs and senior executives from banks, credit unions and fintechs, we'll provide you with a real flavour and understanding of the topics and issues being discussed here at the event. So we're now joined by uh, Scarlett Sieber, the uh, Chief Strategy Officer at Money 2020. Um, Scarlett, I know how busy you guys are here. So first of all, thank you so much for taking some time out to join us. The event, just like, I mean, we were here last year, crazy and huge as ever. Has it met with your expectations? Well, one thing that you will find out as we get to know each other, Russell, is nothing ever meets my expectations. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's first off. First of all, that's but yes, thing. I am I am certainly to this point so far. Obviously, we have a day and a half left of the show, but I have been happy with where we're at, and it is so exciting to see, you know, time and time again, the the world of money come together, and as we keep going, how that composition of our of our delegates continues to change. When we think about what is it that is the world of money, you think about the banks, the regulators, the fintechs, the tech companies, but all these new players start coming in. So I love to watch that. We always try to mix things up and change how and, and where people interact with content. So that's the biggest thing that I've been spending time is, is what is that stage working? You're so energetic walking. Obviously the stand is beautiful and there's a lot of energy here, but when we go over to the under the star stage, it's darker, there's lights, it smells like the forest. You know, is that gonna make you feel relaxed where you can sit and really understand what's going on? So all those things are what we look for. You um, mentioned the content just, just there. Um, what are the key kind of themes that you're focusing on? Such a hard question, and it's funny because depending on which team you talk to of mine, uh, the U.S. team doesn't like the word themes, but the reality is it's the same type of things. And we can play buzzword bingo all day, right? Because not surprisingly, and one thing that we've seen continue from our show in Amsterdam in June is AI is the hottest thing in the world right now, right? So we definitely have that as one of our core areas of focus, but we're looking at it from different perspectives. So you had Ali Goetze, the CEO of Databricks, make that big announcement and talk about what they were doing in financial services on stage. A company valued at over $40 billion just had $500 million in investment. So you, they're talking about AI naturally being a tech company. Then we have other sessions which are much more about like actual use cases because it's really fun to talk about this all day, every day, but who is using this? How are they using it? Lots of data that's come out around that. And I know later on we'll talk a little bit about Instant and, and their announcement and some of the other people who are with them around that time were really focusing on a bunch of stats around the banks and how much they actually be really are, need these AI uh, technologies to help their customers and help themselves in many cases. So AI is really big, RTP is big. Um, one other thing you'll be seeing and you probably have already seen maybe even through the conversations you've had today is the role of like so reg tech but more specifically the role of regulation think about what's happened this year you know the collapses and everything else and so we have we have the OCC, we have the SEC, we have ex-government people who have a little bit of a different perspective and maybe can speak a little bit more freely. So that's definitely a big, big focus for us. And we had uh, we had Rachel Morrissey, someone on our content team, talk with uh, Rohit Chopra from the CFPB who made a big announcement here last year. Of course, recently 1033 just came out. So those are some of the key things that have been uh, happening with us. You've got so much going on. I don't know how you've managed to find the time to do this, but last year you also wrote a book 
which I believe was called Embedded Finance When Payments Become an Experience. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so that was a, there is a lot going on. That was a, a labor of love and I do not think I'll be doing that one again. <laughs> I've been asked a, f a few times around that and that was a, it was amazing. But um, basically, so so why did we, so why did I do that? Why did we do that? I did this with a co-author of mine by the name of Sophie Jabot. Um, I had been thinking about before doing it, wanting to write a book for some time and had some, some interest in thinking about what would be the right thing because obviously as we started the conversation, Russell, like the world of money is large and so what area do you want to focus on? And one thing that had been consistent throughout my career in financial services is people not understanding what I do for a living or how what I do impacts them and the reality is money is everywhere. So one of the things when we started thinking about embedded finance is how do we make sure that we make the book applicable to all and so people from outside the industry to have more of a desire to come within and then equally for those within the industry one of the things that i get frustrated with which i talked to you about a second ago is around like so much theory and not enough like real live use cases and so we have a whole chapter dedicated to real live use cases so yeah but this all started when um sophie actually and she's a good friend of mine her and i were catching up on a consistent basis and she said oh my god scarlet she uh was looking at the grab uh financials and she said grab made more money from their financial services than they did from their delivery uh, business and th something is here. So we got on it. You know, what you actually see out of the book took a year ahead, ahead of that to start writing it and come up with it. But I'm um, super excited about it. And th we launched it at Money 2020 Europe last June and it continues to, to get attention. And uh, what's been really interesting is seeing the different companies from different countries who have come and bought uh, rights for it. So, you know, China, Turkey, you name it. So it's really cool Amazing. to see the impact globally. That's tremendous. Yeah. Um, just in terms of wandering around the show floor here, talking to some of the exhibitors, the attendees. I was just wondering what, from those discussions, you've understood as their biggest kind of challenges, particularly that they're facing in terms of selling online. But also, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about here is their customer onboarding. What, what's been the kind of feedback that you've had from, from everyone? 100%. I mean, obviously, you asked me earlier about, about themes and trends and everything else. I mean, fraud is the other biggest thing. I'm, it, depending on how you slice the other comments that we talked about, fraud is a, a key, key piece about that identity, not surprisingly, like everyone and their mother wants to be in an identity company, but the role of a single source of truth, you know, the, the self-sovereign idea is definitely a really, really big topic. And the other side of that is making sure from an end user perspective that you own your identity from beginning to end and how does that actually benefit you and make your life better. And then from the business's perspective, how do you onboard more customers in a way that you know that that, whether it be through payments or whatever else, that you know that it's actually them and you're not getting the amount of fraud that you have in the past. So that's definitely a big thing that we've seen across, across all of our shows, but in the U.S. for sure. Uh, now, you touched on this earlier. Just the last question for you. Um, we're obviously recording this with our partners instant on their booth. Sunil Madhu, their, their CEO and founder, used Money 2020 to launch their big announcement, MultiPass. How important is it for you to have that kind of announcement at this event? It is really important. So fun, fun fact about Sunil and I, uh, I've known Sunil for almost a decade now. And actually, I was an entrepreneur not in fintech. And uh, I had a tech startup as well, and I became a finalist at a startup competition for BBVA, the big global bank. Oh, right. And Sunil's previous company was also a finalist, and Sunil was on stage and actually won said competition. So I've known him since before I was ever so in So there's fintech. no bad blood there, though. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. It's been really interesting to see how, how he's continued to evolve and grow. But as part of that, so back to the part of your question, which is really about... For me, and I, I take this, and my team knows this, I 
take a ton of responsibility and there is a bit of stress related to that of we set the pace for where the industry is going and what happens on our stages the world reacts to so we always try to prioritize making sure that when we think about who are the companies that we want to elevate and tell those stories it's really important so the fact that Sunil and Instant chose Money 2020 a, is always an honor because I think being humble is really important and you can't ever expect that that's going to happen. But I think it is a testament to what we've been doing more broadly, which is when things happen here, they go global. And, um, you know, we've seen such a, a positive response. You know, Apple, Apple Pay, Uber Money, all these things started um, and they chose to announce here. And we have some other really interesting announcements coming. You know, we talked a bit about Embedded Finance earlier, the co-founder of Clear is here. I'm doing a session with him later. So I, it's just another example of what this looks like. But yeah, super honored that uh, Sunil and Instant chose Money 2020 to make their announcement about multi-pass. And it, I'm looking at the beautiful <laughs> screen happening behind you as it's happening. Yeah. So um, it's really exciting to see that. That's great. Well, listen, um, thank you so much for taking some time out. of I know it is a ridiculously busy schedule. But uh, for now, Scarlett Siva, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Russell. Thanks. So I'm now joined by uh, Tyler Peel, the VP uh, for Enterprise Risk at Service Credit Union. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we've just spoken to Sarah Beth um, Felix uh, from Acceleron Bank. You were on a panel session with her. Yes. Um, that was the, uh, the the one about real-time payments, fraud, and FedNow. Yep. What I thought I'd do is get your perspective on, on this. Can you just start you know, by explaining the benefits of FedNow and the challenges of implementing the service? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people at financial institutions, especially your smaller ones, talk about the use cases of FedNow, right? And how are we going to use it? And what is it going to do for payments? And I think the reality is, is that FedNow is going to be, it's going to change how we do business. When we think of weekend payments, you know, you go to buy a vehicle on a Saturday. How do you settle that payment out, right? Do you write a check? Can you walk away with the vehicle, right? It's, it's going to change how we can pay our, our vendors, peer-to-peer -peer payments, transfer money between institutions. So I think it's gonna come regardless of what we do and it's up to us to decide how do we implement a service like that and take advantage of it because we're not gonna think of the use cases today that will actually hit the marketplace, right? And if we try to, try to imagine all those use cases, we're not gonna be able to actually forecast and foresee those and if we're waiting on the sidelines for that to happen, we're gonna miss it. So as far as implementation goes, you really have to find a vendor that you can utilize to kind of open up those rails and manage that channel for you. So typically a third party provider that will enable that service for you and then you have the ability to receive or send payments. Okay. Uh, one of the key themes that we've been discussing and also at, at the conference here is um, fraud prevention. Yeah. Be keen to understand how you guys, you know, approach fraud prevention and KYC. Yeah, so right now we're doing receive side of FenNow. We're not sending it primarily because we're still building out our fraud prevention capabilities. So what we're planning on doing, and what really before you turn on send, what you really have to think about is behavioral analysis of your member. For us, our member, your customer, because you really have to think about before I go and send that payment, do I have full confidence that the member is who they say they are? And it could be a member you've had for 10 years, but one of the biggest trends in fraud right now is account takeover. So you fall for a scam, and someone's in your account doing that behavior. Zelle, we experience a lot of losses with, right? It might be a $1,500 exposure, and we can eat those. FedNow, you can put limits in up to $100,000. So if you have a wealthy member, and they're trusted, but then someone takes their device over or compromises their account, and then enables, they're enabled for FedNow, you're, you're at liability for whatever the balance is in their account. And that's really scary. So what you have to think about is being able to, before that payment sends, how do I have full confidence that this is a good payment? 
and, and the member is who they are. So you watch their devices, you watch their logons, you start to get a behavioral analysis of that member. And when something is anomalous from that, you can prevent that payment or you can interdict and intervene on it. Let's pick up on, on the fraudsters. I mean, the, the techniques that, that they're using now, we've got AI is, is obviously huge. How are those techniques changing at the moment? And what, what, how does that challenge you guys as well? Oh yeah, so it's fraud is now, it's a commercially available platform, yeah. right? Like I can go on and I can purchase the tools that I need, the bots, everything else that I need to conduct fraud very easily and be successful with it. And it's terrifying. And the social engineering aspects, so you think of AI, you think of generative AI, and you can mimic people's voices, you can mimic calls, right? You can start to create what sounds like a real human being. It's very easy to spoof phone numbers, to use texting that comes from, you know, in my case, alerts at servicecu.org. I can just put a name on that. It doesn't mean that's where it's coming from, right? So it's really easy to be a fraudster and to be very, very convincing. So it's, it makes it a real challenge for us when we look at generative AI and AI as a whole, we really have to think, how do we combat it? It's frightening times. Um, let's finish off then. What, what, what needs to happen for the good guys to win the race? Yeah. So as scary as it is, for us to win, we have to protect the members without them knowing they're being protected. Okay. Because you're, you know, we talk a lot about education and education to our members and consumers around frauds and everything. They're gonna keep evolving. They're gonna keep changing. So if you try to capture everything and just get ahead of your members or your customers, knowing how to prevent fraud and saying, everyone's gonna be good, we're gonna educate so much that they'll never fall for it, it's still gonna happen. They're gonna keep falling for scams. So what you have to be able to do is say, I'm gonna watch this payment until I get in contact with the member because I saw a different device, different location. I saw enough red flags that I'm not gonna let that go instantly. I'm gonna put it off into a queue. And when you have that capability to do that, and then you call them, and we've had these conversations. The member picks up and you're like, hey, we saw something. They're like, oh, that wasn't me. You're pre preventing fraud without them even ever knowing that they clicked a link, they submitted their credentials, that they were socially engineered without even knowing it. Yeah. And that's how you win. It's incredible times. But listen, for now, Tyler Peel, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Joining me now is Chad Ritchie, CIO, Ventura County Credit Union. Lovely to see you, Chad. Hey, thanks, Graham, for having me. Appreciate it. You've been busy here. You spoke on a session, didn't you, around digital transformation for credit unions. What were some of the key points that you made? You know, in, in our industry, in credit union industry, actually in, in many verticals, uh, same thing in higher ed, uh, same thing in healthcare, we're, we're facing this intense struggle where we have these monolithic proprietary vendors that have been around for decades. They own most of the market space. They have no motivation to innovate, which causes us to give poor experiences to our digital members. Right? They're expecting something on par with what they do on their app, like on Netflix or Uber or Airbnb, right? But because these vendors are so outdated and they control the innovation pace, we're forced to innovate at their speed. So ultimately, banking is a chore. It's no different than shopping or doing your taxes or anything else, so why is it so much more painful? So the thing that we really focused on this session was, we can now break away from that, we can now leave these more archaic vendors behind and do things through open APIs and microservices that free us from those old constraints, which is incredibly exciting for the industry. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. How did it go down in the arena here? You know, we had a lot of credit union attendees, but we also had a lot of uh, folks from other industries. And after the session, I walked out and there were just a number of people and they were all expressing the same concerns. We have the same problems, how do we fix it? And 
no vendor is going to tell you this is the way that you take care of your organization because they're very focused on their piece of what their product does. So what's really cool about sessions like this is as the folks in the industry, we can get together and share ideas and collaborate and hopefully get some good messaging out on there are ways around these older technologies where we can start to have a much more modern uh, experience with our members. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, Ventura. So what does the technology infrastructure look like around, say, member onboarding? Right, this is something that we've been taking uh, incredibly seriously for the past couple of years. In order to get to a point where you can have these great experiences where members feel like it's seamless, painless, and it's just getting done what they want to get done, uh, you have to do a couple of steps ahead of time. You have to basically rip out all the old plumbing. You got to put in uh, cloud native uh, services. But once you get to that point, which is where we're at now, you can start doing something really cool. And it's this idea of the member 360 degree view, where when you call into your bank or your credit union, and you're trying to get something done, usually you have someone in the contact center who's managing four or five different screens, right? You got one screen with your information, one screen with maybe your deposit information, one with your loan information, and they're juggling back and forth. This idea of creating a member 360 is everything's on one screen. Your entire profile's there. So if you start, let's say, a loan application online, you want to buy a home, but you get busy and you need to go run an errand, and you come back and you're on your mobile app, and then you get busy again and you want to call in, even if it's five seconds later, that information needs to persist and be available to you in the way that you just saw it. You shouldn't have to start anything over. You shouldn't have to figure out where you were before. And that's kind of taken for granted in many of the modern digital experiences. You know, if you're shopping on Amazon, you never have to worry about where you were. But in the financial space, we struggle with that a lot. So getting to that place where when you, we're onboarding members, we have their whole view, that is a huge step forward for us. Yeah, I guess it's like when you call a customer service number, isn't it? And you, you call it once, and then the next time you call, you right. have to explain the whole you thing. Gotta, gotta go, hey, listen, I just called you five minutes ago. <laughs> Can you tell me your name again? Yeah, yeah we yeah. got to get rid of all of that because yeah. that's, we're only in financial spaces and maybe higher ed and healthcare. Do you see that you've got to explain yourself and that, that experience gets to be fragmented and painful and you're like, why is this so Oh, yeah, exactly. Now you spoke at another event as well, which was uh, just prior to Money 2020 called Underground Collision, I understand, yeah. So what is that all about? And because um, that was, well, around best practice AI, is that right? Right, right. Yeah. this was really cool. So Sue Mitchell runs a group called The Underground and it's really about turning ideas into action. Uh, she's probably one of the most well-connected people in the credit union space and she had the foresight to get together a group of industry experts from the credit union space, and not just technologists, we're talking CEOs, uh, chief experience officers, marketing people, and she brought in powerhouses like AWS, and she said, let's figure out how we can start to understand how generative AI is gonna impact the credit union industry. And out of that came this 50-page white paper that we're releasing in November, and the goal of the white paper is to give credit unions a framework so that when your staff come to you and say, hey, we wanna use generative AI to write all the marketing material on our website, you know, Generative AI has, it's not trained on credit union philosophies and values, and we take our member interactions very seriously. Our sole focus is the financial wellness of our members. We, we're not-for-profit financial cooperatives. We don't make money off of our members. So we want any AI that we use and bring in that can generate content for our members to have those same shared values and that same philosophy of uh, member-centric. Now, of course, the flip side to AI, which is what we've been talking a lot about in Money 2020, is the negative impact, you know, when the AI is in the hands of these sophisticated fraudsters. What, what do you do about that? How do you combat it? Uh, it, is, it is a scary proposition because we're seeing the amount of threats dramatically increase based on AI. And the, the one thing that we have to do is we have to have a couple things we have to do, but the most important is educating our staff continuously. Uh, because if they're educated to the point where they understand how these threats can come in, 
that's a wonderful place to understand that your staff have the tools that they need in order to think critically, ask questions, not feel rushed when they're getting a message saying, you have to do this now, this is a CEO, wire this money immediately. You know, be able to take a pause. But the most, I think the other most important thing is finding vendors who are on top of these threats because we will never be on par with the threat actors. They're always creating the threat and then we're trying to catch up and patch the threat. If we have trusted vendors who are in real time understanding the threats and then mitigating those threats and deploying those to us, that's a huge resource because credit unions, while we do need to have a strong digital presence, our focus is not going to be solely on detecting fraud. We have a certain component to that in our organization, of course, but we need partners who, that's 24-7, that's all they're thinking about is how do I stop fraud for credit unions? Finding those partners and forming relationships. You know, it sounds like you're doing a good job, you know, trying to combat these things. So, Chad Ritchie, thanks for joining me here today. Appreciate it, Graham. Thank you. So I'm thrilled to welcome back to the podcast uh, Leslie Gillen, the uh, Chief Growth Officer at Pagaya. Um, Leslie, we spoke last year, so it's great to have you back on the show. Great to be here, Russell. Thank um, you. Last year, we talked about the work that you're doing at Pagaya in terms of financial inclusion. Can you give us an update on how that's you know, played out over the last 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, we just finished having a, my CEO was on stage talking about financial inclusion with TransUnion and the National Bankers Association. We're really proud of the work that's happening. Um, if you think about the loans that we've been, think about 15 billion in lending over the past 24 months that Pagaya's enabled. Um, about 36% of that is our black and Latinx consumers, one out of two women. Um, and about 55% are low to moderate income. Uh, why that's so important is obviously we're doing that across personal loans, auto loans, uh, credit card point of sale. And you think about people who need a car loan, and uh, before Pagaya is partnered with these 26 lending um, partners that we have on the network and growing, um, you know these would be no's. And the you know it, in order to be successful in the United States, uh, you need access to credit, and um, we're very excited to play our part. So we've been enabling that type of volume, which has been very very exciting and what we're really excited about is the pipeline that we have you know going into next year that's great to hear comparing to the discussions that you were having last year what kind of themes have you been picking up on you know walking around and speaking to partners and attendees and yeah. other exhibitors what really hits me is the collaboration between um, all the different players that can really make an impact whether you think about financial inclusion and by the way it's really good business uh, so when you think about the bureaus, the technology companies, the AI uh, companies, and the regulators, and also the institutions, the lenders. So, you know, three to four years ago, banks would see fintechs as used to be enemies, maybe frenemies, okay, maybe we'll start to use them in a servicing capacity a bit, um, versus now there's pull. I mean, so the lenders and, you know, the top lenders uh, across the country, across many asset classes, are now recognizing the benefit that financial fintechs can provide and are not seeing us as the frenemy anymore, but much more on like how can we enable and force accelerate them to actually serve their consumers better. And it's palpable here. So what's very exciting is you're listening to regulators talk about AI regulation guidelines. They weren't doing that a few years ago. There was skepticism with AI and now it's like, okay, here's how to leverage AI. That's huge because uh, it makes our conversations easier when we're talking to the lending institutions that we can all see this clear sandbox to play in um, to serve consumers at the end yeah. of the day. Obviously, you're, you're an AI network. AI is a topic that we can't seem to 
not hear enough about <laughs> yeah. in terms of yep. you know every day you know you're hearing how it's impacting our, our world uh, for good. What I was just wondering is, are there other themes around AI? For example, you know, bias in AI. Is there a risk of of introducing? Uh, racial economic biases which can continue to exist in traditional lending? Yeah, I think, look, are there opportunities for bias in AI and in data? Absolutely. I mean, we know that there's a bias in in data. Um, it's all how you leverage it and, and why fair lending testing and, and ensuring that there's transparency on the variables that you're leveraging and not leveraging to make sure that you're doing, you're making a fair an equitable decision based on behavior. And so where AI camp comes into play is, is the ability to look at many more um, variables within the data, but then also be able to test for uh, fair lending biases, um, disparate impact, disparate treatment, and be able to make sure that that's not continuing to happen. Um, so I uh, actually see AI partnering and what we do in partnership with the lenders that are regulated, um, we have a very easy way to make sure that the loans that are being booked do not have um, any type of discriminatory um, bias because we're able to see the impact and outcomes and test for that consistently. You know, I think, I think AI and data for good is real. Um, and we all know that there's a mandate to bring more black and Latinx into the mainstream economy and every financial institution um, has put their money where their mouth is and our job is just to accelerate that. So I think AI um, and data for good is, is real um, and you can test for it. Can AI better track other things like customer spending, credit patterns to counteract fraud? Uh, fraud, yes, fraud. Look, AI has been around for over a decade um, in the banking industry. It started, you know, whether it's servicing chatbots, um, fraud, uh, a number of other uh, servicing, you know, capabilities, and now, now underwriting. The fintechs have really started that trend and are probably a few years, in fact, we know, are a few years ahead of the banks. In fact, uh, for example, 70% of personal loans in this country are not from banking institutions, they're from fintechs. And so, leveraging AI data. So banks are waking up to it, but banks have been leveraging AI for a long time. Fraud is one very um, big way for them to combat and make sure that people have access and, and authorizations happen in real time. Now it's about bringing that AI into the underwriting process so that you can have more people actually participate in the economy. One of the themes that we've been focusing on in uh, this year's interviews has been customer onboarding. I was just wondering in terms of when it comes to genuine new customers, how are your partners onboarding them? Look, I think it's a super priority to deepen existing relationships um, with, uh, with their consumers and ensure that the customer experience is flawless because consumers can walk with their feet. Um, so obviously that's why AI and what we're doing from an onboarding perspective is critical. So Pagaya specifically, we are a B2B2C fintech capability. We're plugged into the lending system through an open API. So consumers don't even know Pagaya exists. So our job is just to enhance the decision making that the lender's making. So in real time, milliseconds, if their lending um, underwriting is saying no, we're turning it around and saying for, you know, 20, 25% of those declines, yes, we recommend a yes, and then they end up um, approving that loan as the lender of record, so that consumer actually has the chance to work with those many amazing institutions with the, with the products that they're looking for. And then what they're doing, I think, 
you know, in fact, I worked in financial services before coming to Pagaya for 30 years and spent the last decade of my career as, you know, chief marketing officer in, in two of the three largest institutions in the, in the world um, focused on uh, customer engagement and onboarding is first and foremost, it's your first impression. Um, and so I think there's tons of focus on it, tons of technology and AI capabilities in order to enhance that. And, and consumers, it's not about like, ooh, you, it used to be scary, you know too much about me, um, you're leveraging my data. No, consumers today expect to you to you know these institutions to anticipate their needs, and so if you're not able to do that, if you don't leverage AI and and technology capabilities to do that, you're going to lose because consumers are going to go someplace else. Listen, it's been great to catch up again, but for now, Leslie Gillen, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Russell. Good to see you. Okay, I'm here with David Park, who's EVP Head of Commercial Banking and Treasury Management at Axos Bank. David, nice to see you here today. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Not at all. How's your money 2020 been so far? Uh, it's been great. Um, last year's steam, I think, was uh, everything about crypto and blockchain. And I think this year's steam is uh, really a lot about AI. And then uh, payments continues to be a big, uh, big theme throughout both the commercial and consumer side. I'll come back to you on the, on the AI point in a second, but I just want to first uh, find out a bit more about the commercial banking priorities at Axos Bank, which you head up. Yeah, no, there's numerous priorities, and this year's theme, really because of the March events in the U.S. commercial banking arena, I think a big theme has been safety and soundness. Fortunately, Axos has managed uh, the balance sheet very well. We have a strong capital base. We have 90% of our deposits already FDIC insured. We virtually have no securities exposure on a mark-to-market basis. Um, so it's been a great um, thing to educate our clients on. Uh, most did not ask about those things earlier in the year or even last year, but it's been a big theme. So continuing to manage our uh, bank uh, on a safe, safety and soundness basis has been really important. And because we've managed very conservatively, uh, we are looking to continue our growth trajectory. So we've been hiring a lot of bankers, really capabilities that we wanted. And with the three big bank failures, we've gotten some great opportunities to hire on some talented individuals. So we're looking to continue to grow and um, take advantage of this opportunity we have. And then I would say the third theme, which has been an ongoing as a digital bank, our commercial division takes that seriously. So it's everything from client experience to efficiency to safety and soundness, fraud prevention. So those are probably the three big themes for this year. Yeah, sure. And let's dive a little bit deeper then. How do you approach things like customer onboarding and KYC at Axos? Yeah, I mean, there's so many great uh, technologies out there. Um, the first thing we think through is because we're a digital bank, fraud prevention is really important but we also have to keep um, client experience uh, on top of mind. And so what we've done is we've onboarded with some great vendors that uh, create a seamless experience for our clients. So it's a digital uh, onboarding. So they have a client-facing portal where we're communicating through that portal. Uh, e email is like saying snail mail now nowadays. And that experience allows us to do the KYC do the onboarding, instead of kind of data entry, we're looking at quality control 
and really make that experience. And we get the data in terms of how long it takes them, what are the things that we needed to improve to improve that client experience. And in the world of compliance and KYC, it's really important we have great vendors that um, double check all of that and we have uh, a lot of automation and technology that allows us to do that faster. Okay, now you mentioned fraud prevention. So what do you see as the main threats and how do you counteract them? Yeah, fraud, fraud is, um, it's, it's a little scary, right? Um, technology is great. It creates a lot of um, capabilities and great experiences, but it's not just the bank that uh, uses the technology, the fraudsters do it as well. And so um, the great thing about Axos is we, are, we have one channel. We don't have branches, so we are digital. So 100% of our efforts go into that digital experience, and that's where the confidence of our clients and customers need to really be. And so we have a couple different layers of security. One is historical transactions, right? So we have systems that track, and if there's something abnormal in a transaction, that's something that will get red flag, take a look at it. If it's normal course of business, it goes through. If it's not, we have someone looking at it to um, whether communicate with the client or make decisions on it. Uh, we also give our clients dual approval capabilities as well as multi-authentication capabilities. Um, I would say from a security standpoint, a lot of banks and companies, really where the fraud comes into play is not through the bank, but really clients. A lot of client emails get hacked, and there's a lot of information in client emails, and so we do a lot of education to our clients on the things they need to do to protect themselves, because we could do everything right, but if they you know, aren't great about keeping their passwords and having the security levels on their side of things, that's where we actually see the most amount of fraud is through client. The other one um, that is big and, you know, these big fraud and, you know, security hacks really come through vendors. So you integrate with vendors, which is very complicated, but if your vendors don't have the right security protection, um, the fraudsters can get in through that way. So we have a very stringent uh, vendor process. It takes a little bit longer to onboard a vendor, but it's totally worth it to prevent and protect our clients' information. So that's been really important. And I would say the third thing is, man, fraudsters are getting very tricky. And so we have our uh, corporate security look at imposter weaknesses, so they make fake, fake websites. Um, so we have to constantly look at that. We're tracking dark web and criminal forums, and we have to be on top of it. And AI is great, uh, and it will definitely help with efficiency and processes and prevent fraud and create better client experiences, but fraudsters are gonna use it as well. So we always have to be a step ahead and think through what are they gonna be using to attack the banks. So now, just to finish up here, I just wanted to ask you about Zenith Information Systems. So uh, I'm in a little bit in the dark about that. Tell me a little bit more. Yeah, so Axos, we are a commercial bank, but we're a little unique. We own a lot of software companies, including our custodial business as a software company, our clearing, uh, we own our consumer platform. I also operate a bankruptcy software. Zenith is actually an accounting software. So think QuickBooks and Xero and all the different accounting, but it has a very narrow niche. It is for the business management, family office, and RIA space. So what, what's unique about it is most accounting softwares cater towards a business, right? Business at the center of it. But when it comes to high net worth, 
ultra high net worth. In the case of business management, it's a lot of entertainment clients. So I'll use a generic example, but let's say Tom Cruise, right? He's an individual, but he is a corporation, right? He's done hundreds of movies. He's got very complicated revenue sources, expenses, syndications, um, you know, a lot of family. Um, so it's very complicated. So for an accountant, which is what a business manager is, think CFO for the high net worth individual, for them to prov provide cash flow projections, look at unique assets like art, collectibles, all kinds of things. It's the Zero and the QuickBooks and these other softwares you have to kind of plug together. Zenith allows that management to be seamless. So it allows the accountant to see kind of Tom Cruise Corporation. Where is the personal money being spent, business money being spent, for cash flows. Um, obviously not every client's like a, every uh, individual's like a Tom Cruise, but you can imagine even there's people that have done hundreds of commercials and so they have to track that income and there's expenses associated with it. But that's what Zenith Information Systems is. Uh, we believe in um, really integrating with different softwares and we've purchased ma many of them because we believe in the niche and we, we believe we can uh, bank those clients uh, the best. Oh, that is fascinating stuff. So I think maybe next year we'll try and get Tom Cruise on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Well, I'll try to uh, make him a client one day. Yeah, that would be good. David Park, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I'm now joined by uh, Victor Santos, the uh, co-founder and CEO of Onyx uh, Private. Uh, Victor, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Great to be here. Um, now, you previously founded um, Bonki, which is a near bank in Brazil um, that got acquired. What I was keen to understand is, is what you've learned from that experience in terms of building and, and growing a, uh, a successful fintech business. Yeah, I think um, you know, consumer fintech is very difficult. Um, I think one of the biggest things is being able to grow while managing fraud, uh, which is something we learned very much in Brazil, where you know, Brazilians are good at soccer and fraud. So we had, we had to deal with that. Um, so being able to manage and having an infrastructure that can scale um, is key. Uh, and also a team that knows how to deal with people's money, which is very, very important, right? So it's, you're not building a social app, so the level of trust and security, both on the branding marketing side, but also on the engineering side um, is very key and vital to give that sense of security for the user, you know, with trusting this FinTech that um, they probably don't know about, right? Um, so that's that's the key thing in having the right team to accomplish that. And so when, when was it that you um, launched Onyx? Uh, we launched Onyx in late 21. Right, and how yeah. did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so the vision for Onyx is building more modern, more accessible private bank, really focused on the young affluent demographic. Uh, these are folks that are often overlooked by the private banks. We saw this uh, firsthand after selling our company that um, most of these private banks require very large minimums, you know, usually a couple million dollars, very poor digital platforms, uh, one and a half percent assets under management fees. You're not getting the same level of access as someone that has $10 million in their account. So we saw that there was a gap. While most incumbent financial institutions are focused on high net worth individuals, most of the fintechs are really focused on subprime and your um, subprime or middle class. So we saw that there's a gap to serve the young professionals who are what we call Henry's, high earners not rich yet, um, the affluence that are still in their wealth accumulation phase without any minimums and providing that white glove private banking and private wealth um, in one single super app. So one of the things that uh, we are focusing on this year, you know, on the podcast here is um, customer onboarding. And I'd just be interested to know what your approach is to that, given you know the, the, the target market that you're yeah. after. 
Yeah, so we have actually very wide uh, self-directed onboarding um, that our users do. Um, you know, some of it has, is constrained by the KYC of the bank and the investment provider, but we make sure that every user gets to schedule a call with one of our um, one of our customer associates to make sure that they are properly onboarded to the platform. Uh, so that is done, you know, part of, partially automated with some tooltips in terms of the app, so people can. Uh, learn about how to work it on themselves if they don't want to talk to anybody, um, or they can schedule a call and actually get manually onboarded into the app. Uh, and we actually see a 50% uh, improvement uh, for people that actually do take the call uh, in terms of like how much money they put into the app, how much retention they have. Uh, and part of our service is premium, so we provide 24-7 support, so any questions you might have, you can text us uh, and we usually respond and kind of take care of it. But uh, we try to keep that self-directed approach with the white glove service if you do want to have someone kind of walk you through all the benefits, show you how to use the app. And the data shows that actually that uh, improves conversion and engagement a lot. And in terms of reducing the impacts of, of fraud, how do you go about that? Yeah, so we you know, have the baseline compliance and, and fraud that the bank does as a baseline. And then on top of that, we add our own uh, rule engine and you know um, our own kind of data gathering. So we add um, you know our own selfie that, that users have to go through um, that are high risk, that checks, you know, make sure that it matches the uh, the identity, make sure that the identity is not tempered with. We also look at suspicious device behavior, and you know, does IP match? Is that the owner of the device? Things that might trigger uh, a manual review. Um, some uh, some might actually be automated, and uh, you know you might get um, immediately close the account as a decision from 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 a rule engine. But we gather from different sources, from device, selfie, ID, also transaction. If there's suspicious activity on the transactions, um, you know the velocity of the transactions chargebacks, those types of things, all that feeds into our rule engine and then it's either automated decisioning or a manual review whether um, we should take further action on the user. That's really interesting. Um, listen, Victor, where, where can um, our listeners find out more information? You can go to onyxprivate.com and sign up and try the app yourself. Fantastic. Uh, Victor Santos, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Well, thanks again to all our guests who took the time to chat with us on Instance Booth here at Money 2020 USA. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to contribute to the discussion, you can find us on LinkedIn and all the usual social channels. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with us as well, uh, you can do that via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith and Graham Barrett, thanks for listening and goodbye.